Alrighty, well let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty, everlasting God, make us to have always a devout will towards Thee and to serve Thy majesty with a pure heart. Through Jesus Christ, Thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with Thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, James chapter 4. Almost done. We've got one more chapter after this. So, let's begin with uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Who wants to read those verses for us, then we'll get started. What causes quarrels, and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. All right. So we see in the first part there, um, look, verse five, uh, yearns jealously. Uh, it says, God is jealous when we give our allegiance to other gods. Now, um, I want to quibble with the translation a little bit. I don't know what, I mean, so we've got, I've, I've got English standard version, version, y'all, I think you have the NIV, we've got the King James, we've got the New King James. What does verse five say for y'all? So the English standard version is exactly what Sean read. What does the New King James say, verse five? Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Okay. I like that one better. Uh, is that sort of what the New King James or is that what Why the King James says? Lusteth to envy instead of yours jealousy. The okay. That dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Lusteth to envy. That's interesting. Okay. And the NIV. What does the NIV say? Verse five. The spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. Okay, that's better. Uh, the New King James, the NIV, is better, I think, than the ESV on this. Um, because of the context, I do believe, you know, in, uh, in the English Standard Version, it has a lowercase s for the spirit. Uh, I think it should be capitalized. I think it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. 
um, because it fits the context, it matches grammatically to say more along the lines of what y'all had, which is the spirit which he made to dwell within us yearns jealously or um, yearns enviously. Um, that is to say that, that 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 makes a lot more sense than it being just a lowercase spirit, just a spirit. Like, what kind of spirit are we talking about here? It makes more sense that it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we got into this this morning. Um, someone said, well, it's the spirit of life. And I said, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that's that's just very... Well, wouldn't that be the same Jesus? thing? Because that's what we confess in the Nicene Creed. What I we believe can... in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Yeah, it's, so it's true life for sure. But I mean, like, I, th I think he means... so. It was Tim this morning kind of challenged me a little bit. He was like, I think it's talking about just like the spirit of life, the breath of life we are given through Adam, you know, from the beginning when God breathed life into man. Um, and I said, I mean, I don't think so. Um, possibly. It, it, it's better that I think it's better for us to say that it is the Holy Spirit because then God is yearning jealously for us. And it's through the spirit that dwells within us now as Christians, right? And that's not just the spirit of life. That's the Holy Spirit, right, that he's placed within us. Um, so, I, you know, agree to disagree, I don't know. But I, I think that the Holy Spirit is a better translation for that. Maybe there's room for interpretation there, but what do you all think about that? Yeah. When I read it, it reminded me of baptism. Okay. And the, the, the Holy Spirit that he's placed on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's good. I think that's good intuition. Um, that he has placed within us, right? Yearns jealously. Um, doesn't, it, it, you know, he, like we see in Galatians, what, 5 also? Uh, that the Spirit is at war with the flesh, right? He's always fighting against our sinful desires. Um, and, and, and this is something we should be very much aware of. And this is what James is also warning us of here, that though you have the Holy Spirit as a free gift from God, right? The Holy Spirit being God, the third person of the Trinity, right? The Spirit's concern from the, for the Christian is nullified by the Christian's... Um, by the Christian's um, unacceptable commitment to unholy living, right? So that is to say that um, Jesus says, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin, right? That if you continue to willingly sin, knowing that it is wrong, knowing that it will separate you from God if you continue down that path, you do it willingly, knowingly, pridefully on some level, right? I mean, I think at every level, that's what it begins with, right? You keep doing it, eventually the spirit will depart, right? And you're practicing in the minor forms, or I guess, I don't, know, I, I don't, don't, don't even know if you could say that, that unbelief can be found in a minor form, right? But unbelief will take its full root and you will eventually fall. If you continue to sin, not acknowledging that sin to be forgiven of it, right? To repent of it. 
Um, the Spirit, He's concerned for you, but it's nullified by your will, willfully pushing Him away to sin. That's that's my two cents there. Any thoughts about that before we go into the discussion portion? Okay, so let's discuss. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, James speaks about desires that battle within us. Someone has said, battles within give rise to battles without. Please explain. What y'all have for that? Well, if your conscience inside you is telling you something and you... Listen to your conscience and do the right thing. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. It helps you battle whatever it is. Mm. That's a good way of seeing it. Okay. Anybody else have anything different? But uh, we cannot will things into existence. But because our sinful nature desires to be God, we are conflicted with that because we know admittingly or not that we are not God um, and we do not have free will in that sense um, we have an ability to choose but only what God gives to us hmm. we do not will things to happen Interesting. so we kind of our sinful nature battles with that okay yeah we'll definitely get into God's will in the later part of the chapter for sure uh, and, and the problems that can come up come upon us when we are prideful in that arena for sure. Um, that was very deep. It was very interesting. Uh, I, I think we're going a little more simpler here, though. But oh, you're right. Okay. That's, one, that's one of the <laughs> facets. Like... No, you're, that's one of the tiny little forks that's like in this main idea of what's going on here. So absolutely, it's, it's, it's in the right vein. Um, so if battles within gives, give rise to battles without, what, how would you explain that? Somebody else have anything different? Well, I picked up on the uh, battles without, and to me that was a battle you're going to lose. So I wrote down a battle without conviction or commitment is a battle that's going to be lost. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's battles lacking something, lacking conviction, something like that. Resolution, something like that, right? Confidence, I guess. Yeah, yeah you can go play a game if you really don't want to win. More than likely, you're not going to win. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, please. A different route. Yeah. And uh, thought about, I looked it up on Matthew 15, talking about clean and unclean, that it's what comes out of your body, it's what comes out of your heart that makes yes. you unclean. Yeah. That's the same thought that I had um, in this too, that Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out what comes from the heart, right? And even James talks about that back in chapter 1, right? That temptation begins with your own sinful desire, and then once that desire has um, conceived and gives birth to sin, uh, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, right? So your sinful, so, so temptation begins within you, you know, your temptation... The only reason why we have temptation is because we have a sinful nature that yearns for it, that seeks it out. Uh, and so when we have the battles within, um, you know, that we have the battle between the flesh and the spirit, 
you know, we're still engaging in some level of, you know, covetousness or lusting. And so we covet what others have. We lust after those things. That covetous spirit and those lusts that rage within us lead us into quarrels and fights with people around us because we seek to take what they have, cast down someone who is higher than us or whatever, you know, because we're envious, we're jealous, or we covet or idolize. Or, but that begins within us, right? So battles within give rise to the battles outside of us, that we are led by our desires, our passions, as it were. Um, any, any further thoughts about that? Any questions about that? Um, I wanted to share one little thing. Uh, there's This reminded me when I was preparing for this. This reminded me of something I heard recently. There's a podcast I listen to from time to time. Um, and, and sometimes it's... <laughs> so, sometimes it is to just see how the other half lives, and that includes frustration. It's a it's a, a, a layman who's a Roman Catholic. He's Australian, which is very strange. He's Australian Roman Catholic. Uh, well, actually, I think he's like Greek Catholic now. Whatever. Anyways, um, it, I like some of the things he says about certain ethical living, but of course, when he gets into the Roman Catholic issues of saying, you know, sola scriptura is nonsense and da da da, you go, mm, I don't think so. Um, but it's interesting because he, uh, the guy, his name is Matt Frad. He his podcast is um, Pints of Aquinas, uh, where uh, it started out as reading bits of Aquinas's summary of theology and just talking about it, and then it grew into having a lot of these guests on and talking about hot topic issues of faith and theology and ethics and whatnot. And he had Dennis Prager on his show. If you know who Dennis Prager is, he's a conservative commentator. Um, he's Jewish. Um, and so they got into an issue, they got into a discussion about pornography and Prager was on the side of saying, I don't really care about what you are thinking. I care more about how you behave and your behavior and how it's act and, and like what you do, which is a typical Jewish ethical stance, right? I mean, they're not concerned with your thoughts. They care about doing the right things, right? Um, and Frad, so Matt Frad got into it with him a little bit and kind of pushed against the idea because Prager was talking about um, how, like, so they're both against pornography, but Prager's not against, I don't know, he has, he has a story about how his father was an Orthodox Jew who loved his, who, who loved his wife and, every, and his kids and everything like that, but he just happened to have a, a subscription to Playboy. And his wife was okay with that because she knew that he loved him. And I'm just like, what? How does that make any sense? Um, so Prager's just like, I didn't see a problem with that. And so he's, he's, he's equivocating. He's splitting hairs. He's doing all this stuff. Whereas Matt Fratt, I think rightfully kept on saying that, you know, it's the sinful desires that lead to sin. It's what is inside you that leads to sin. And Prager doesn't like that. He said he didn't like that because... He, that feels too close to like the leftist ideology that, that, you know, wrong think and, you know, all the stuff like that. But it's like, the problem is, is that the leftists are right on some level, but it's perverted. They're condemning the wrong 
things that you're thinking about. Um, whereas we would say it does begin with what you think, it, it begins with what you desire, and those things lead to what you do. They can, at least, if you don't have a reign and control on them um, by God's grace and strength. So I bring that up because there's a big difference between saying, uh, you know, tell me, tell me which, which one is right, option one or option two. Option one, um, we, are, um, we are sinners because we sin, okay? Option one, we are, are yeah, we're, we are sinners because we sin. Option two, um, we sin because we're sinners. Which is the correct option? Number two, right? We are, we sin because we're sinners. There's something wrong with us, right? We are born with the sin that was given to us by our first parents. And, uh, and, and you know, it's been handed down through the lines um, from Adam and Eve to us. And that's why we sin. We're not sinners because we go commit sin, right? Jesus has intensified the law by saying, you know, it, you know, that if you look after, if you look at a woman with lustful intent or lust in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart, right? But uh, Prager didn't like that because it has to do with what you think. And he also said something <laughs> along, not to like lambast on Prager, but I mean, this is the fundamental difference between Christianity and Judaism, or one of the one of the big ones, aside from the denial of Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah. But it all goes back to this understanding that we are inherently sinful, and that's why we sin. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that first and foremost, that um, there's something wrong with us. And that leads to bad behavior, sinful behavior, or not doing what we should do. Um, so I say that because um, that's a big deal in our day and age. We've got to get that distinction right, uh, because a lot of people don't think that way. I think maybe there's a lot of Christians who don't really think on that level as well. The inherent um, sin in which we are born with leading to actual sin that we commit and live out and even practice in on some, some level. Um, yeah, I think, not to go further on, but I think it was like Prager didn't like how he, he says, I treat homosexuals just fine. I was the godfather for a homosexual couple in the christening of their child. Um, and, 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 um, so that means he's right. And he says, but, but I get, you know, I get, uh, I get attacked by the left because I don't want homosexuals to get married. He's like, so I have that stance. I'm just like, how can you have that stance? And still be the godfather of a homosexual yeah. couple's child's christening or whatever. I'm just like, what kind of, first of all, what kind of church are they going to? Um, second of all, it's like, it's just like the cognitive dissonance, the mental gymnastics people have to do to try and equivocate and, and make it all fit. Where it would just be so much easier to admit what the Bible says and say, we're born with sin. That's our problem. That leads us to desire to sin, and desire once fully conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully formed, brings us to death. The wages of sin is death. 
So it's just like, why make it complicated? Keep it simple. You're a sinner, therefore you sin. Right? Um, and, and it's really that easy. Um, I think it's just, yeah, anyways, I'm not going to go in further than that. Anybody have any questions? I'm going to take a break here from talking. I'm just stuck on the, that you said he was against homosexuals getting married. Is that the only part he was against? <laughs> yeah, right. He's a, I think, I think Prager's of that libertarian mind. If I'm trying to be fair to the guy, but I think he's of that libertarian mind that as long as you do something in your own bedroom and in your own house, it's not, it's not in my house or in my front yard or backyard, then it doesn't bother me. And I'm just like, uh, I mean, you think that's just going to stay in their bedroom and not come out? Well, it's coming out. (laughs) <laughs> no pun intended. Like, it's not going to hurt other people. I, I listen right. to a lot of conservative talk guys talk that way now. Oh, yeah. And I had I can't listen to them anymore. No. I'm like... Yeah. It's a shame. You really aren't going to have it both ways. No. You give an inch, it'll take a mile. Um, I mean, we thought that if we just kind of let let people do their thing, they'd stay in their own little quarters and now they're having drag queen story hour in libraries and schools and stuff. And, and we've got, instead of having a pride day, now we have a pride month. Maybe next it'll be a pride quarter next to pride year. I don't know, like a year of Jubilee or something like that, but for debauchery and uh, whatever. But it's just, it's like if we keep letting it go and not, and not at least say something, uh, why should you be surprised if it doesn't just try and take over, right? So, yeah. We should be as committed against it as they are trying to get us over to the other side. Right, yeah. And not because we, like, hate them or something like no. that. No. You know, we don't want that for them either. No. Yeah, we're going to talk about judging rightly and, and things like that um, in the next half of the chapter here. So we'll save that. You know, what can we do about these kind of things, right? But we got to know where it all starts. It begins from within and comes out, right? That's, that's really the proper, uh, the proper order of things when it comes to sinful nature and sinful behavior and actually act, acting out sin, right? Any questions so far? Thoughts? Okay. How about that next question? Earlier, James said that every good and perfect gift comes from God in heaven. Those who think otherwise will soon experience God putting a stop to their wicked ways. Four times, James says that those who allow their lusts to shape their lives will not receive what they want. The implication being that God is putting a roadblock in their way. Use the blanks to identify James's four statements. So... Let's go to that first one. So it's just like basically you want something, you kill and covet, but you do not have. And then when you ask, you, you do not receive and then fill in the blank after that. Right. So you want something. But you cannot have it. So you kill. But you cannot get it. Yeah. But you don't get it. Right. Uh, you kill and covet, but. Still can't get it. Cannot obtain. Right. You still don't get it. You don't get what you want. You so, and fight. What's that? I think it follows, so you quarrel and fight because you, you kill and covet, but you still can't get it, so you quarrel and fight. Yeah, you keep on raging about it, right? Yeah. And then you do not have. 
you have not asked God. That's right, yeah. because you do not ask, right? Oh, but when you ask, you do not receive. You ask with the wrong motives. Right. Yeah, you ask with the wrong motives, and then to spend what you get on your pleasures, right? Um, so that's the... That's, I think, you know, something we should definitely keep in mind about prayer and praying in the name of Jesus and according to his will and all these things, right? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you still don't get what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, right? And you spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay? Any questions about that? It's pretty straightforward, but you have questions. Go for it. Any thoughts about it? I don't know if I have a question, but it reminds me of, uh, I'm going to say, it reminds me of how I used to to think about things and, and had a, a certain attitude mm. towards things earlier in my life. Mm -hmm. And you listen to people that complain about never getting ahead. They feel like they're always stuck in a rut. Oh, but I've never asked nobody for nothing. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like. And you wonder why you're still there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, I understand the, the independent self-reliance thing, but it, I mean, people are here to help, help other people, you know? Yeah. I just. I used to I used to be that way too, you know, and I was and I was I didn't have because I was not asking the right way mm -hmm. or asking or, or asking the wrong things for the wrong for the wrong things for the wrong reason. Yeah, and being and I wasn't content. Yeah, well, being being an individual, we've we've been told for a long time you want to be a rugged individual. You got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you got to make it happen and get to work. And But the implication is that you do it by yourself. But it's like, when you're all by yourself, you're a prime target, right? You're a prime target for Satan. When you are not with people, and this is not really what has to do with what we're talking about here, but it just reminded me, hyper-individualism is not good. It's not a good thing. You separate yourself from the people that God has actually given you, and that's you know, your family and even your friends, your neighbor, things like that. When you willfully remove yourself to do your own thing, never ask anybody for nothing, and it's like, well, you wonder why you don't get ahead, because you're not actually part of a family or a community or whatever, to where, yeah, of course you're going to strive and strive, but like, like, like the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, it's a striving after wind, right? It's all vanity. I mean, he says a lot of things are vanity too, but you know, it's just like, especially that I would say, when you try and be all by yourself, it's like, well, don't be surprised you're not gonna get that far, right? Yeah. I mean, especially if, if it is just you, but you're a Christian, you at least have God, right? Well, so then there's that. people see that long enough and then they won't offer help because then they're like, well, He's not going to take my help anyway. Yeah, right. So why do I want to bother? Do it all himself, you know. Yeah, why do I want to bother? Yeah, he's just going to say no. There's so. probably some people out there that like really want to help you, but yeah. yeah, people too proud to take 
you know, any kind of help. Yeah. yeah, and if they offer help, sometimes people get insulted by that. Well, plus I guess it's depending all, on what it is, you know. Plus, it's also idolatry of self. You know, you think you can do it and find out that it's a false god. Right? We'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. Um, how about let's just keep on moving because uh, these all this stuff's pretty uh, straightforward. The entire syndrome James described in verses one through three is summarized in verse four. What does a person become who follows the pattern of these verses? An enemy of God. A friend of the world. An enemy of God. Yeah. An enemy of God because you're a friend of the world. Right? Uh, one time I got in a lot of hot water with somebody by posting that that verse on Facebook years ago. It was, it was, it was years ago. Uh, it was a, a fun conversation. Uh, shows you that you should not engage in theological debates on the internet. It's very fruitless. Um, eventually, I just had to tell the lady, who's actually a f- my friend's mom, uh, she's saying that I was bigoted and whatnot, or like unintolerant or whatever. I was just like, I'm, you have a problem with the word of God. You don't have a problem with me. Mm-hmm. That's your problem, is that you don't like the word of God. And then she just signed off. I was like, all right, sorry. The world standard, the world has fallen. The standard has fallen. Mm-hmm. So you can only pick one side. You can't be friends with both or follow both. You can't right. have two masters. That's exactly right. I think James had that in mind from writing this. You cannot serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other, right? So it's like you have to, you cannot serve both God and mammon, but mammon is material possession, and that is the currency of the world, right? Yeah. Okay, any other thoughts about that? Verse 4? Okay, so... The next one, although the new spirit God created in us is envious when we serve our sinful nature, God promises his grace to whom? To the humble. Right. Specifically, what kind of humble person? To those who return to God in humility and contrition. Right. So the one who humbles themselves before God, right? Uh, humility in and of itself is not a virtue for James at least here when he's writing right it's not a virtue in and of itself he's he's saying that you know he he actually links it to I think the humility of Jesus Um, it's all pointing back to what Christ has done too that the humility of um, is it how's it go yeah, humility for its own sake is for James no virtue. It has only it has value only as the believer shares in Christ's humiliation, which is reliance on God. This means release from sin and Satan. So we as Christians are supposed to have the humility of Christ, right? Um, that he humbled himself, therefore we should. And as he was exalted, so we will be as well. Um, of course, our humbling ourselves is never separated from the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It is never separated into our own will that we have some power within ourselves to humble ourselves. It is only by recognition, which is 
you know, completely outside of ourselves, of God, the fear of the Lord, uh, and the trusting in Him as the one true God. Fear, love, and trusting God above all things, right? Um, so yeah, it, He gives His grace to the one who humbles himself under the Lord, trusting the Lord to give him all good things. So, humility in the sight of God. Okay. Any thoughts or questions about that? Anything you want to add? No? Okay, good. Well, we're just breezing right along here. Um, how about we go into the apply section? Uh, so, what is the application of all this? You see that in verses 7 through 10. So, Let's work through those verses, all right? So um, in verse 7, what's the application? What's he telling us to do in faith? Submit to God. Okay. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What else? Resist the devil. Right. And he will flee from you. Uh, I remember, and I wish this was my story, <laughs> but it's not my story. It's a story from Pastor uh, Wolfmuller. Uh, I forgot where I heard it. It's not some podcast. I, I can never remember these, <laughs> these things, where, where they come from. But he told this story one time that he, when he was in high school, he was an exchange student to Australia. And they were out in, you know, the outback, whatever. And uh, there was like a little baby hog just kind of running around away from its mother and, you know, whatever other herd they had. And so it's this wild baby hog, and uh, Pastor Wolf Mueller, you know, being a teenager, just decided, I'm going to go try and catch it, right? And so he just jumps out of the truck and starts running after this little hog, and this, this thing's like squealing and running away, you know, and scared to death, and he's, and he's running, running, running. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, that little hog stops, and it makes him stop. It scares him a little bit. It's like, why did this little thing stop? That thing turns around, looks up at him, and then starts chasing after him. And he turns around and runs away because it freaked him out so bad. He's just like, what? And so he, he's scared, run, runs away. He said, that's, that's how he uses the illustration. He said, like, that's what it means for you to resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's like, by comparison to Satan, you are, you know, much less in terms of your power uh, and, and all these things, right? You're, you're not endued with power in and of yourself comparatively to uh, Satan himself. But when you resist him, knowing who you are in Christ, he has nothing else to do but run away, right? And, and it'll look like a little baby pig chasing after, you know, a 17-year-old dude. You know, a big guy compared to this tiny little thing, right? Um, so it's just, it's just kind of an interesting, it's a funny thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what comes first is that you humble yourself. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. It begins with that. It has to. Um, because in verse 8, what else do we see? What's, what's another application there? Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. But it says you have to cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Because your sinner is double-minded. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to all these things, it, again, we have to go back to the beginning. Submit yourselves. Um, and 
the question always becomes, I guess I'll just get into it really briefly here. It's like, well, don't we, aren't, aren't we doing something when we submit, right? Um, but I guess who is the first one that moves? Who's the one that makes the first move in terms of repentance, contrition, and things like that? Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, I'd probably say just God in general, right? I mean, you, and you could divide that into, you know, whatever part of the economy of the Trinity you want to get into. But it's like God moves first, and he moves outside of you. And you, hear, and you know that because the Word is outside of you. The Word says, you're a sinner. God created the world. He redeemed the world. He sanctifies those who believe in him. If you are not one of them, you will be condemned to hell. And then because of that message coming from outside of you, starting with God, then you submit, right? Because you have been moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to do so, right? So therefore, by submitting, you know, to God in his word, then you can draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? You draw near to God on your knees, prostrate before him, understanding that you are nothing in his sight comparatively, right? That, you know, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, again, through submission, submitting yourself to God's will. Um, what about verse 9? What do we see there? <laughs> be wretched and mourn and weep. Yeah. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What does he mean by all that? Uh, what do you think? I think that it was talking about, because I was like, man, I know he doesn't. Taking all of your joy that you have in your worldly things. Sure, okay. And these are the things that bring you joy. Um, turn that joy into something else. You should not be joyful. Yeah. With these things and thinking that they, I don't know, save you or right. So I guess happiness or yeah. Um, so my question is: Is mourning and weeping and mourning and gloom what merits forgiveness or what merits God's recognition? Do I have to come to confession and absolution on Sunday mornings before church? You know, when we start the church service, weeping and mourning and on my knees and prostrate before God before he'll listen to me? No. No, we don't have to do that. What I think this is, is that be wretched and mourn and weep because you see yourself for who you are. That is your response to understanding yourself in light of God's law, right? As a sinner. That's just what you're going to do. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Uh, let your laughter be turned to mourning because what you're probably laughing about is not what God delights in. Right. And what you're joyful in is probably not what God wants you to rejoice in. He does not want us to be boastfully ignorant or oblivious of our condition. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, he wants us to be aware, to be mindful of his will, um, revealed in his law and in his gospel, but I mean, we got to start with the law, right? 
and you gotta you gotta move on from there. But I think like if you see those as the appropriate responses to your being told of your sinful condition, that's the right way of viewing this. That if you really knew how bad you really were, you would cry your eyes out, right? And you would humble yourselves, as it says in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, right? So it all begins with understanding what God has spoken about us and our sinful condition, our response to that in faith, right? The appropriate response is weeping and mourning and just sorrow, contrition, right? Sorrow for sin, so that God would deliver the saving message of the gospel and you would be exalted in Christ. Yeah? And not that you weep and not that not that you wept and mourned and made all these um, gestures of contrition. So it's it's not penance, but redemption or repentance. What are you looking for? Yeah. So I think so. What we would say is that there's uh, there's two parts of repentance. There's contrition and faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that first you must be sorrowful for your sin. And then in order to actually turn from that sin, you have to have faith in the salvation won by Christ. That gives you the strength to go forth and turn from your sin, right? So yeah, that's what he's interested in. I mean, like we are penitent because of understanding who we are without Christ and then with Christ, yeah. But we don't pay penance, no. Any thoughts, questions about that? Applications? Going back to verse 7. Okay. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, eventually he fled, right? It just took a little while. <laughs> yeah, after a couple of swings of the bat, I don't guess. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's a good point. But I guess, like, how fast is... Um, I know, but the devil was in and out pretty quick, though. I mean, yeah. most of the book is his friends telling him how much he sinned or whatever. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I think, I think to to dive too deep into Job, I don't know. When you level, get your children killed or whatever, and by the time you get some new ones, that's not a short period of time. That's not a short period of time. But I mean, that's that's I guess consequences in time, though. So. There's a difference there, I think. Um, all that stuff didn't just get wiped away, and all these kids didn't just get raised from the dead. He had to have new kids, <laughs> so more kids, right? But I guess my point being, he yeah. did flee from the devil, but the devil yeah. just kept coming back and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's gonna. Yeah, for sure, he's just gonna find the opportune time to come back, like he did with Jesus, right? After the temptation. Uh, Jesus resisted him with the word and then the devil left him to come back at a more opportune time. But it's encouragement to be strong because if you're strong, you'll have some peace for a little bit. It's not a constant, ongoing constant oh, yeah. battle. Right. Yeah. You just have to resist him with the next time. Right. You get some yeah, rest. He doesn't flee from you and... Never come back. Never come back. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and it's and it's like what, um, what Peter says in his... Uh, oh, where is it? First Peter, second Peter. Um, 
uh, where he says, you know, be, um, submit yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Be sober-minded, um, be watchful for your de- for the adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, de- to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. I don't know where that is in First Peter or Second Peter, but I, I guess I know it by heart. Um, it's a good one, though. Uh, so submit yourself. It's the same sort of idea that James is talking about. He is always prowling around, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Um, Five verse nine. First Peter. Yes. Five. Yes. 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 They, they, they six, verse six through nine. Yeah. So, questions about this before we move on to that last last bit. I had a comment in verse ten. You know, humble yourselves and you exalt you. We have a. I don't know. At work, we had a new HR lady come in like a few years ago and they got this track star thing and every month I'm get emails you haven't bragged about yourself this month it's like bragged about what? yourself yeah it's basically what have you what have you done brag about your it's like the That's boss gives you the uh, up or down you know whatever what is all that about I mean this whole the yeah. whole thing is going woke shouldn't my work speak for itself yeah yeah, it just irritates me to know. Yeah, it is irritating. Yeah. HR. I'm glad I don't have to deal with HR. <laughs> oh, man. Did they and, use that, that phrase specifically? You bragged have bragged yourself. about yourself? Yeah, what, what have you done lately? To, uh, you know, and pretty much, yeah. Yeah, That's fine. brag about yourself. You should just say, I don't do that. I'm a Christian. No, I don't care. <laughs> I ignore them emails. Yeah, that, no, that's why I don't uh, rise Flee from me. <laughs> you got flee over there. That's why I'm still on the, you know, like the medium level or whatever. Oh, man. Well, you know. Yeah, playing that game is, it, it can get dangerous. So you, it's probably best to just avoid it. Um, so how about that last question? On this, on this part, how does the Lord's Prayer help keep us from lusting for things? Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah. Thy will be done. Mm-hmm. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it, those things too. <laughs> yeah, it, it's good. It reminds you that, you know... Well, the Lord's Prayer is is the perfect prayer. I mean, Jesus Himself gave it to us, right? Um, it's the it, it encapsulates everything you could possibly need or even want, right? Um, and a godly desire. Right? So, the, so the Lord's Prayer deals with what God wants us to pray for: spiritual blessings, which we need the most, and confidence that God will give us all that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. And the Catechism. It's like, what is it meant by daily bread? This long list of everything. And then it's like, after all this stuff, it says, and the like. So it's like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff, right? What, um, uh, man, what is it? Food and clothing. Food and, and yeah, house and home, land, animals. Family, name, Yeah, faithful family, faithful children, faithful rulers. Yeah. Um, yeah, shoes, clothing, all you know, land animals and all I have and all that stuff like that, right? And et, et cetera, and all the like of that. He gives you all that you need. 
Um, so therefore, you don't need to lust after anything. And it reminds you, he's going to take care of you no matter what. I took it very, very literally and just put, do not lead us, lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. Yeah. Deliver us from that. Then I followed up with, yep. He gives more grace. He outdoes the lust with his grace from a, or verse, which verse was that? Six. Yep. Yes. Gives more grace. He outdoes that with grace. Mm hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Give us this day or daily bread, everyone. You know, I may be like the Israelites. Uh, you grumble? Get tired <laughs> of bread. Everyone is saying that for 40 years. Yeah. Grilled, grilled steak, you know, like the yeah. Israelites had to have some quail or something. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah, sure, of course. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they show us at our worst, <laughs> you know. We're just like them in a lot of ways. I think I read the other day, was it in the treasury or something, where it's just like, they grumbled about being taken from a land of milk and honey. That's Egypt. Oh, Lord have mercy. Right? Uh, I think that was like right before Korah's rebellion. Bad stuff happened. I think that's what I was reading this morning was, uh, what's that about Dathan and Korah and that, that whole line of people? Never should have messed with it. All right. Well, um, any last bit on the uh, first 10 verses of chapter 4 there? not, we'll just go ahead and push forward verses 11 through 17, and we'll probably be done in like record time. We'll see. Um, not that I'm rushing. Not that I'm rushing. We'll take our time on it, right? So who wants to begin with reading verses 11 through 17 of chapter 4? I got it. Okay. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Okay. So we see in that first part, uh, it's not discussed. It's probably anything, like there's two discusses. No, there's just one discussion. This is the look portion, right? Um, verse 17 uh, here James gives a general admonition. In the context of this section, James is admonishing us to place our lives in the Lord's hands and acknowledge his plans for us. Now that we know we should do that, it would be a sin not to. Right? Um, that goes along with what we were talking about last time, that uh, sin infects our entire nature, and so involving from that uh, desire within us, it expresses itself in the most hideous of acts. That is also not doing the things we should do, right? Um, and that to commit a sin of... To, omission. Yeah, to, to commit a sin, which is kind of funny, you commit a sin of omission. So in some sense, it's also a sin of commission. Anyways, so you commit a sin of omission 
by not offering assistance or doing what you should do, right? It puts the offender in a condition of, of it puts the, con, uh, the sinner, the offender in a condition of, of unbelief, right? So you're engaging in, in unbelief by not doing what you know you should do. Um, but then again, every every aspect of sin is an expression of unbelief on some level, right? So, any thoughts about that? Questions? Before we go to, this, to discuss? That's what I like about Luther's explanation of the commandments. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, these are the things you should not do. These are the things you should do. Mm -hmm. Like, there's both. Yeah. Yeah, positive side and the negative. Prohibition and positive. Yeah, so it's not just, it's not enough not to murder. It's, it, it, it also encapsulates not helping someone who's in grave danger. Right? If you don't save someone who's drowning that you could save, you are guilty of murdering that person, right? It's that sort of thing. And yet today this Marine is facing... Yeah. <laughs> for helping somebody. Yeah, right. For yeah, there's more and more of that all the time. You, Either you get sued or Yeah. It's like my boss, he was uh, somebody was beating somebody on the golf club course of the yeah. golf club and he wouldn't help them. He got sued. Three years later, of course, he finally got it resolved. Wow. After a fortune in lawyers' fees. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mess. Good yeah, Samaritan doesn't mean anything in today's world right here in America anymore. Yeah. Well, then, then maybe we live in an unjust country. I don't know. We do. Uh, <laughs> we do. Yeah. We do. yeah. Maybe maybe if our laws are unjust, maybe we should just uh, I don't know. Find a way to do something about it. Um, but also like that our uh, confession and our liturgy reminds us of that too. By what we have done what, and by what, what, what we, we have left, left undone. undone. Mm -hmm. We have not loved God with our whole heart. Right? Yeah, exactly. So for the discuss portion, James says that if we slander our brother or speak against him, we are speaking against the law and judging it. In order to understand this thought, we must realize exactly what we are doing when we judge someone else. What are we saying about that person and especially about ourselves in relation to that person? What did y'all have for that one? We're saying that that person is in sin and we are somehow above them. Mm-hmm. So in some sense, they're a worse sinner than you are, kind of thing, right? We have some right, we feel we have some right to judge them, despite we're just as black as they are, mm -hmm. sinful as they are. Just as sinful, yeah, just as stained. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So, yeah, we're saying that a person, that that person that we are judging, and we'll We'll make some distinctions here about what kind of judging we're talking about. I think this is judging on an eternal level because we can, we're, we're, 
we're supposed to make temporal judgments, right? For our own sake and for the sake of other people, right? We're supposed to, if someone's in sin, we don't just say, oh, judge not, right? But we, we, we can make a judgment on a temporal level as a warning, right? Because in saying that I'm not the judge, but you're going to be judged someday, right? So this is a warning to you. I'm not judging you, but God will judge you if you continue in this clear violation of his will, right? What we're talking about here is when you say, no matter what you do, you're damned. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, that sort of thing. Um, that's obviously the wrong judgment. That's condemnation. Full-on, outright condemnation with no remedy. <clears throat> so you're saying that that person is greater is a greater sinner than you are, and instead of humbly dealing with that person in love, knowing that you're both sinful and deserve God's judgment, you know, it's putting yourself above that person and claiming that your holiness makes you worthy to judge, right? Um, but it's even worse than that. I'll get to that in a second, though. Do you have any thoughts about that before I go on to why it's worse than that? <laughs> Or do you want to hear why I think it's worse? <laughs> How could it be worse? Let me just ask you that question. How could it be worse than that? We're taking the place of God. So what does that mean? What kind of sin is that committing? Like idolatry. The ultimate one. Yeah, I think it's idolatry. It's also blasphemy. Blasphemy is yeah. like the unforgivable sin. Yeah, it's also blasphemy. It can lead to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I'm sure of it. You know, So it's blasphemy for sure. Because you seek to function in God's place as the lawgiver, right? Can I use an example? Because I think maybe this is what they're talking about. Okay, sure. Um, worked with a guy and who was an atheist mm -hmm. um, and likes to use all that judgy language. Always oh, shouldn't be judging people for this and this and this and this. But we were having a discussion about this. Uh, pedophile case mm -hmm. right and he goes man if, if there's a, a hell or a heaven I hope he goes to the, the worst hell that, that he could possibly be in you know and I kind of turned to him because we had had some religious discussions I was like well I mean if there's no heaven and hell then he didn't do anything wrong and it's not a sin Right. <laughs> Why are you so concerned if you don't believe there's a heaven and hell? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You nailed him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's he good. was like, well, and then it was a well mm -hmm. rebuttal. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, okay. Yeah. I think I heard something. He probably pulled what, like, well, actually, da 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 da. Right? He's like, no, that's a sin against humanity. I was like, well, I mean, your, yeah, what's your standard, right? What's your standard? Where your morals come from? Right. Yeah. What's the what's the genealogy of, of, of what you're talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. So it's it's just bad all but around. But he right? he knows that. He's he just the one to admit it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, it's 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 sad, is what it is. It's sad. To see someone who clearly has the law written on their heart, but then when they're confronted with the actual fullness of God's will revealed in his law, 
It's too much. Right? It's and is that the kind of judging they're talking about here? Yeah, I think so. That like, like I no matter what that guy burns does, in hell for what he did or something like that. And same yeah. So the, I hope God has mercy on him. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's it's tantamount to saying you know, um, yeah, basically I hope you go to hell for what you did. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Or yeah, I hope you burn in hell for all eternity. You know, and saying, you know, God may forgive you, but I won't, kind of thing. Yeah. Which, if you say that, you should really think about what you're saying. I don't know if anybody's that, you know, cognizant when they're saying these things, though. It's usually out of anger, right? And, and, and anger does not merit the righteousness that God requires, as James also says. Yeah. Any other thoughts about that? What you're saying about yourself and that person that is being judged. I have a, maybe another extreme example. Of sure. Something I saw we got time. In sure. a court case, this man had murdered um, these people's, like uh, this family, but it was just the mother and the father, and the kids were, you know, anywhere from ages like, I think it was like seven to like 19. And one of the, during the sentencing in the courtroom, they allowed the kids to get up and like say something to the accused. Yeah. And one of the kids got up there and, you know, test, uh, gave a testimony about their Christianity, whatever, but said, I hope that you go to hell for what you did. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's. Is that wrong to yeah. sit there and tell him that? Yeah. If you do not forgive someone your sins, then neither are yours forgiven. Yeah, and it's... Because I heard that, and I was like, man, I can see how somebody might be feeling that, but... I, sure. You just got out there and talked about Christ and God and then did that. Yeah, that's not good. That's negating. So it's one thing... It's one thing to say you're going to burn in hell, but to say I want you to burn in hell for what you did, I would love to see you burning in hell for what you did, that right there is full on condemnation. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you, you know, um, to say, you know, if you don't, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, it's one thing to say <clears throat> for them to get up and that accuse, you know, the person who's been convicted and probably rightfully so, right? Um, that's just clear cut case. They did it. It's one thing to say, you know, you took my parents from me. Um, and I hope that you realize what you've done. And I hope that that will lead to your salvation. Because right now we're struggling and you've caused a lot of pain and suffering. And we'll, be, we'll have to live the rest of our lives without our parents. And I pray that God would convict you of this sin. So that you would not burn in hell forever. Right? That's one way of saying it. But to say, I hope you burn in hell. That's yeah. That's too far. It's 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 one of those things you go, well, I mean, it's against God's will. God's can will. a fig tree, my brother bear olives or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Right? Your tongue is watch what you say. Fire. <laughs> yeah, watch what you say. Cuz that guy may think, "Oh, good. So Christians just want me to burn in hell." That's what God wants. 
he doesn't want redemption or, or whatever. It's like, that's what's going to happen? Well, forget about it then. Why would I care? You know, it can lead to a hardening. Well, you know, but also it may lead to repentance and it may backfire on that on that kid, right? Mm -hmm. To say, I hope you burn in hell. And that may hit him hard enough to say, how must I be saved? Right? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I it will all be revealed someday. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that was that was not that was not good for what him to say that. A little too far. Um any other thoughts about that? Okay. Um so continue the thought of question one. So if I, a sinner, claim to have the right to use the law to judge someone else. How am I misusing the law and passing judgment on it? Yeah, think. I said you're misusing the law because the law doesn't judge. The law condemns you, but the law doesn't say whether you're saved or damned. So you're misusing it if you're hmm. trying to damn someone with it. Interesting. Okay. So how, so, so... The law is not the judge. God is the judge. So God is the judge, yeah. So the law is like the instrument of condemnation. Uh, It shows you your sin. Yeah. But that's not the end-all, be-all necessarily. Right. And yeah, especially when the gospel is concerned. Um, Okay. Okay. Anybody else have anything? When the law is made, is that judging or who condemns somebody to death? Somebody has to say. That's worthy of death. Yeah. 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 So somebody's saying it. Yeah. And the perfect law that is given to us in the Bible, that's that's God saying it. So he's the ultimate authority, right? right? I just meant civil yeah. law. You know? Yeah. You're condemned to death. And ideally, our civil law would reflect divine law on some level, yeah, right? Because uh, God, God does care about morality. Not and uh, when your civil law in your country doesn't reflect God's moral law, you know you've got a problem, right? So back to this, though. So how am I misusing the law and passing judgment on the law when you, can, when you judge someone and condemn them? I put, I misuse it thinking that it's my law now Mm -hmm. and that I dictate what sin is and what isn't sin. Okay. Right. Instead of just seeing that they're sinning and that I'm doing the same thing also. Sure. Just maybe different sins. Mm -hmm. Or I'm seeing it differently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, any kind of equivocation, right? Um, is is the law of God perfect? Yeah. Yep. Are we perfect? Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. So only a perfect person has the right to use the perfect law to condemn someone. So if, like you said, you know, if you're a sinner, like, and it's like what you said. You use the law to condemn someone. God is the lawgiver. He is the judge. He uses it to condemn. That's his criteria, right? 
but if you're imperfect, right, and you're trying to use the perfect law to condemn someone, then you're bringing the law down on your own level and saying it's not so perfect after all because I can use it for, to justify my ends, right? And so on that, and so like it's, it's kind of a mixture of all these things where you say, um, when you bring it down, when you bring the perfect law down to your level, you make it less than perfect. You, uh, you pass judgment on the law and even on the one who gave it, right? Saying, I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. I can find these loopholes and I can make it work for what I want. So it's like you're saying that the law is thorough enough to condemn the other person, but not thorough enough to condemn you, right? Yeah. So consequently, you sit in judgment on the law. You say it's, it's your plaything. You can use it for however you want. Have the law of the Lord's is his job or task to apply it, not yours. He is a judge. We are the subjects. He we are here to be guided by it. Mm-hmm. And then James yeah. also says in two twelve, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's the fullness of God's God's mm-hmm. word, right? <clears throat> so. Any other questions or thoughts about that? All that's really good stuff. Well, I don't know. I didn't have much on judging. I just wrote down that uh, don't expound upon this back in someone else's eye. Focus more on the log in your own. Right. But eventually you got to remove that log so you can help that person get the speck out. <laughs> right. So that's what we're going to get into. Proper judgment in a minute here. But we're just going to... Because... Uh, if we did do the whole judge, judge not thing, we're using it exactly the way the world wants us to use it. Judge not, let us let you do whatever you want to do. Judge not, judge not. You go, okay, well, I'm going to pass a little bit of judgment to say, you know, if you don't stop this, you will be judged, right? We're going to get to that in a minute. But um, who alone, I'll ask, ask this very important question here. Who alone is able to use the law to judge someone else? The Lord. Jesus. Yeah. Yes. The Lord, Jesus, God, right? Just very generally, he's the one who can do it. He's the only one, right? So with that attitude, uh, sorry, not that. With what attitude? This is kind of shifting gears a little bit. So we made it clear God judges ultimately. Eternally, God is the judge. We're going to get in the apply section about different kinds of judgment, okay? But now we're shifting on to that next part. Uh, I think it's beginning in verse 13, right? With what attitude should we make our plans? In humility with deference to the will of God. Nice. That's a good one. Anybody put, else have anything similar or a different way of saying it? I put out of faith in thy will be done. Nice. Okay. Anybody else? The life is fleeting. We're here to live and carry out the will of the Lord and his plans. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It was that, um, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Yeah. So uh, we should always acknowledge that our plans will succeed if it is God's will. Right? God's will be done. That's how we pray. That's how we live. That's how Christian life goes, according to God's will. 
Well, we're, we're in the process of planning a vacation, and I'm sure you're planning your vacation too, yeah. but it may not go the way you plan. That's true. That's very true. Oh, well. It usually doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You can do your best. Do your best. But entrust it all to God's will. Paul Garza always says, man makes plans and God laughs. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, actually, man makes plans, but the but God directs his paths. That's right. It's Proverbs. That's right. Yeah. So, God's will be done. Right. God wills it. Um, so, why is it boasting and bragging not to humbly acknowledge that God directs our lives? Because we're just looking at ourselves when we boast. What's that? It's a quote like, I am my own captain, master of my fate, or something. Invictus, or whatever. I am the, yeah. the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, and stuff like that. Yeah. I hate that poem. Right. It's yeah. <laughs> not the way to go. I hate that poem because it's all about, I can do this, and I am this. I'm just like, I'm so powerful. Right. I'm so. But it says, you know, you, you don't have the power yourself to do what you need to do. Resist the devil or otherwise. It's, it's all through God. So if you know his will and what is good, which is his will, but do not carry it out, it, it's a sin. Yep. His it's will. It's a mission. Yeah. Yeah. And his will includes that you trust him. Right? <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts about that? It makes me think of what you were talking about. Like, why haven't you bragged about yourself? Lately, James, like, what are they trying to accomplish? I... It's beyond me. Yeah, we have to. Be like, you, like, you can make yourself feel good, and we then those feelings it. will manifest. We have to into the. <laughs> have to do it. I love self, my job so much. Self appraisal <laughs> before the boss gives you an appraisal. You know what is all that about? How you think you're doing? Yeah. It's just all nonsense, right? No, when I when I wrote that, I have y'all ever heard that song about this little boy who's dreaming about being a uh, you know all star hitter or whatever, and he goes strike one, yeah, oh strike two, strike three. It's like, and then he's like, I'm the best pitcher who ever lived. I'm the best pitcher who ever lived. Have y'all ever heard that song? It's funny. I'm the greatest. Yeah, because he's going to be like the greatest hitter of them all, and uh -huh. he strikes out, strikes so he like switches. Yeah, he <laughs> like turns it on himself. Yeah. The ball goes up, and the ball comes down. Yeah, the ball goes up, the ball goes down. Strike one. I haven't heard that song in a long time. Yeah, that's that's funny. Um, if I can share something, this is some insight from Doctor Scare here from his book on James. Um, I think it's. Maybe it'll spur some conversation. I don't know. He says, uh, <laughs> so he says, um, boasting about what a man is able to accomplish in the future is not only silly because no man is totally in control of his destiny, but worse, the boasting man puts himself in the place of God, the creator. This is, of course, an affront against the first commandment in not letting God have the have that honor which can only rightly belong to him. 
This is the most satanic of all sins. For this reason, James sees boasting about the future as wickedness from Satan. It is the opposite of faith, which relies totally on God. Is that too harsh, do you think? It is the most satanic of all sins to put your place, to put yourself in the place of God by boasting that you're fully in control. You know, you're going to make it all happen by yourself because you will it to happen. Is that too harsh to say that's satanic? The most satanic? Well, it's not a sin to plan. No. Plan ahead. No. But it, I guess it's, it's a sin to think that you are going to dictate your life or your fate without intervention from God or His will. Yeah, I mean, well, why would it be satanic, first of all? What, what makes that satanic? Well, if God's not directing it, who is? Maybe. What did Satan, why is Satan Satan? You know, it's <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Elevating yourself to the status of God to say that I'm the one that makes it all happen. Right. Or I'm the one that should. It's it's idolatry. Right. Yeah. How much do they really believe in God to say that? Exactly. Right. It's unbelief to say that. Boasting about yourself and your abilities that you alone direct your destiny and bring it to fruition. That is. Uh, that does not come from faith. Right? It does not come from faith in God. Right? So I, I, I think he's onto something. It's 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 satanic for sure to say these things. Yeah, Most. that's an attribute of Satan's nature. That's right. And that's what he's always trying to get us to do, right? He's always trying to get us to fear, love, and trust in something else above God. And when you do that with yourself, I mean, you're you're the idol. You're the false god. Right? Yeah. And in some sense, you should be smashed <laughs> to pieces. <laughs> and then God will recreate you and take from, your heart, take, take from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Right? Sprinkling clean water on you, as Ezekiel says. Or as the Lord says through Ezekiel, I should say. Yeah. All right. Um... How about let's go into the apply section? Unless anybody has something else, you have anything to share about boasting in your plans and whatnot? Okay. Um, so apply. So the Bible is filled with examples of human beings judging other human beings in a legitimate and God-pleasing way. For example, see 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. Well, let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 5. Verses 1 through 5. Who wants to read 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5? I got it. Okay. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh 
so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Okay. So, what is the difference between God-pleasing judgment and the sinful judgment James condemns? God-pleasing judgment is made for the sake of your brother's salvation. Mm-hmm. And it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so godly... Um, yeah, godly judgment is, like I've been saying, you know, on some on some level, you're gonna be judged by God someday, and you don't know when He's coming back. So repent sooner rather than later, for your own sake. I'm not gonna condemn you, but you will condemn yourself if you don't repent, right? God will give you exactly what you want in not repenting of the sin, whatever that may be, right? And 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 we should. And, and so that's godly judgment. James is condemning, or he's warning us. It's kind of funny. James is making a judgment, is he not? Right? James is judging here. He's making a judgment on how people are acting, and he's warning us not to judge in the sense of setting ourselves above another person and condemning them. Right? So he is engaging in godly judgment by saying, warning, you know, I'm giving you a warning right now. Um, and, and so uh, that goes for all kinds of things, right? That's why we in the Lutheran Church have the right, uh, have the right, that's R-I-T-E, of, of excommunication, right? Um, that if somebody is persisting in grave and gross sins, they must be warned according to, you know what, Matthew 16, right? Um, is it Matthew 18? Somebody help me out here. <laughs> I always get that mixed up. I think it's Matthew 16, right? Is that what he means when he says you are to yeah, deliver this man to Satan? Yeah, it's Matthew, right? No, 18. Is it 18? Man. That's right. Beginning at verse 15. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Yeah, so you follow those those guidelines, and you have to go through the process for the sake of not falsely condemning somebody, right, to excommunication. But still, you know, you go through the process for their salvation, for the sake of their repentance. And we, and, and it's not, I don't know, I, I haven't ever seen it done. I think on some level we took it more seriously in the past than we do now. I don't think I've seen uh, in a right of excommunication in my lifetime, at least. Maybe not excommunication, but I know when we went to the Church of Missouri, they would uh, go see somebody. If they hadn't been a church or hadn't taken communion, they would go talk to them and yeah. remove them from the roles if they didn't yeah. come in. They excommunicate themselves in that sense. Yeah, the church yeah. doesn't have to bother. So yeah, so there's, there's a side of things It's like, we have these procedures in place to try and bring people to repentance. And sometimes, you know, if ideally, if you're in a circuit of churches, you know, that is cohesive and strong together, like the person from your church that's in open sin, right, can't just go to another church and say, I'm just going to transfer, right? Ideally, you'd be able to talk to that pastor and say, don't commune them. They're... They're under discipline right now, right? We're trying to 
you know, bring them rightfully to repentance. And, and ideally that pastor would say, I'm not communing you, you know, and, uh, you know, you hold them to that. Well, I mean, but like I said, I, I haven't seen that happen at all, but I mean, there's, there's a real possibility of that. It's like, I've even heard of it. There was a pastor that was my field work pastor in Fort Wayne. And he said, you know, when he first got there, he had some people that were really pushing back against him because of some of the changes that he was making. And instead of coming and talking to him about it and, you know, acting like a brother in Christ about it, they were sowing seeds of discord and discontent amongst people secretly. And he and the, and the pastor found out about it, called him to, you know, called him on it to his face and said, I've been, I know what you've been saying. You need to repent. You're slandering me, right? You're speaking evil against me. And you need to repent. And, and then at one point he had the elders there as well. And, and that guy said, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. You got the wrong guy. Or he's, he denied the whole thing and everybody knew that he was doing it. And, eventually, and so the pastor just had to say, basically, I'm not going to give you communion until you repent. You know, I'm not even going to release you from your membership here so you can join some other church. Like, I'm, I'm going to hold you to this until you repent. And that guy just left and he never came back. Right. He left and never came back, but they tried. They tried to deal with him on a brotherly level. And sadly, that's that's, that's what you got to do sometimes. But it's not a fun thing to excommunicate somebody. I pray that, you know, no one ever has to go through that because it's like what Paul says, hand them over to the devil so that he destroys his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on his soul may be saved on the last day. Thoughts, questions about this? Bottom line is that it requires some judgment, right? Yeah. Excommunication is one thing, but people who had been to church in 10 years, why not take them off the roll? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, that's that's a struggle for a lot of churches because for various reasons. I've been to before trying to, we had, I used to serve a congregation, I guess they had about 500 members. And, you know, maybe a hundred of them would show up. It's like, what are all these people on the road for? There's reasons for that. <laughs> yeah. But they're usually not the right reasons. But when you clear someone from the roles, the, the etiquette is that you exhaust all avenues of communication before you remove them, right? Letter after letter after phone call after phone call, hoping to get in touch. And unless they just say, just go ahead and take me off. Then you just go ahead and take them off, right? But they've excommunicated themselves in some sense. They just stopped coming, right? Um, but anyways, any thoughts about this? Questions? Well, I like how in First Corinthians, after it five ends, right at verse six, it, he talks about boasting. <laughs> he goes, "Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens, leavens the whole lump?" So. Yeah, that's right. That was that was the epistle text for Easter. Yeah, that was fun. It's a good one. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so cast out the leaven that is among you, that sort of thing, right? And that's that's something that even Hebrews warns about. You know, sexual immorality within a congregation it poisons the congregation. Like that's when you start to say. That's when, like, as a Christian within the church, you can't just say, well, what somebody does in the privacy of their own home doesn't affect me. 
like, no, it does. Especially as a Christian. If you know somebody's engaging in sexual immorality in the congregation, that's going to affect you because you're communing next to them. Right? It's one of those things that when you receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're elbow to elbow with somebody that's in the midst of a grave and gross sin that's not repentant and not being disciplined for it, then, then on some level you're... You're, you're rubbing elbows with someone that is self-condemned and eating and drinking judgment upon themselves and you're almost in league with them, right? It's not a, it's not, it's not a good place to be. And you warn them for the sake of the, God's love, right? You love them enough to say something. It's like I said before, if somebody's about to walk off a cliff and you don't say anything, that's not love, that's hate. Right? If you warn them and say, don't fall off, don't go that way, you're going to get mauled by a bear, attacked by dogs, or fall off a cliff, that's love. But if you just kind of snicker or just turn a blind eye, you're no better than the priest and the Levite who just passed by the man on the road to Jericho who's lying half dead. It might be not a valid excuse, but excuses. who am I to judge <laughs> but falls under... You're judging them to save them, not to elevate yourself or condemn them. Right. And usually the, sadly, what people say, who am I to judge? They say that because it's like, oh, I don't want to get the backlash. Yeah. Right. I don't want to get backlash from them because they're probably going to. But then again, you never know. If you, if you actually go to somebody and say, this is not good, you need to repent. You're going you're, you're gonna to be separated from God forever if you keep on doing this then maybe they'll thank you. Maybe that will be enough to cause contrition and repentance. You never know. You know, you never know. So. Well, I love how the world looks at judgment as like only bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Judgment is bad. It's like, well, there can be good judgments made <laughs> against, <laughs> against you or in your favor or something like that. I mean, there's guilty and not guilty. Yeah, we are judged righteous for the sake of Christ. Yeah, therefore judgment day it's is like not. They just don't want any judgment at all. Yeah, judgment's not a fearful so, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Judge not, man. How often is that used against us? It's so annoying. It's like it's more nuanced than that, and I know to say nuance is that's misused as well today. But you know, it is. It, it takes wisdom and discernment to know these things and to apply them properly. It's the devil in the wilderness. Yeah. Uh, this is years ago at a neighboring congregation. Mm-hmm. A grandfather was molesting a grandchild. Oh, Lord, And it became known with the family. And uh, they, I think they accused him. I did, I wasn't, I just heard about it. Yeah. And Dave was at, consulted with the pastor but the, the man went to a neighboring pastor someplace and confessed his sin and that pastor forgave him so now he comes back and he says you take me back just the way I am because I I confessed and I have been forgiven and this other pastor gave me forgiveness and uh, I think the answer was okay. There was 
there was cause, mm-hmm. but if there's any validity to it, and you're going to come back here and be stay in this church and this family and everything, there are consequences. That's right. Then you must uh, make sure you're never, never, ever alone with that child again. That you stay away. You, if you're, if you really are repentant, right? You need somebody there to hold you accountable. Yeah. 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 You have to have the fruits of repentance. Yeah. If he was truly repentant, it should show because he is avoiding all appearance of evil. That's right. That's exactly right. It's not good that he went to a different pastor, but the absolution is the absolution. You know, he confessed his sin, but that doesn't mean you flee or don't face the consequences in time, temporal Mm -hmm. consequences. You have to face those because it doesn't, it's like, I don't know, it's, you, you can think of all manner of things, you know, embezzling, robbing a bank, you know, sleeping around, whatever. You can be absolved for that, mm-hmm. but you have temporal consequences for those things. It doesn't just go back to square one. It doesn't undo those things. Mm-hmm. So you have to face the consequences and bear fruits with keeping with repentance. Well, what if they confess and don't repent? Then it was a false confession on some level. Or, you know, then they ought to be called to account again. But who would know? What's that? Well, that's why you have to find these things out, right? Huh? God knows. Oh, of course. Yeah, God will judge. So in some level, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? So So if you steal $1,000 from somebody and you feel bad and you go get and you confess... I stole a thousand dollars from somebody, and they don't know. Nobody knows. Like, okay, I forgive you. You know, but you don't get to keep that thousand dollars. Like you have to pay it back because you mm-hmm. stole it from them. Right. Well, and, and David and Bathsheba yeah. and Nathan said, "Your child will die because you did this sin." And David right. confessed his sin was contrite and had faith and forgiveness. That's right. The child still died. Yeah, and he and he faced worse consequences with the with the rest of his with children. With the rest of his kids. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. His kingdom faced consequences, right? So yeah, and Solomon too, and all kinds of all all the kings of Israel and Judah. Yeah. After that happened, did, <clears throat> he, did he praise God after like? Because he asks, "Is the child dead?" And they said, "Yes, he it's got dead." Up and and then, yeah, he, and... Was, he was in sackcloth for a week or something, or something yeah, like that. It was eight days. Eight days or whatever. Yeah. And then you see Psalm fifty-one, and that's when. That's his response to all of it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, last question, unless you have, have anything more to say about proper godly judgment versus ungodly judgment, condemnation. No? Um, to sort of switch gears again, back to boasting about what you're going to do and all these things like that. But like you said, Alan, it's not a sin to make plans, right? So how might you better acknowledge the Lord when you make plans or set goals? I said the good Lord willing and the creeks don't rise. Yeah, that's there right. You go. That's right, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Pray for guidance, but it's just as important to listen for it. Since a lot of people 
You know, they, they pray and pray and pray, but they're not listening. Or yeah, they don't get the answer they want. They don't, yeah, it's, they, the answer they, they don't know. And it's, they're trying to see it first. <laughs> when praying, keep in mind the phrase, you know, if it is your plan, if it is your will, and then proceed with your request. Mm-hmm. And, and do it sincerely. Yeah, faithfully. Yeah. So, I mean... So how, so making your plans in a God-pleasing way is acknowledging thy will be done, right? So um, how can we both plan and at the same time leave everything in God's hands, though? Is that possible? (laughs) Say that again. How can we both plan and at the same time leave everything in God's hands? Well, you can plan with that, doesn't mean you're not going with God's plans. Yeah. He has different plans sometimes. Yep. The first step is being in the Word and knowing what God's will is for you and trying to plan according to His will. Sure. Is how you start. Yeah, that's a good way to start. I mean, you can say, like, what? Even something as innocuous as, like, I want to read 20 books this year. And he's like, if it's God's will, I'll get to those 20 books and, and, and you know, um, leave it in God's hands. It's like, but you get to 19, the end of the year, and you don't quite hit 20. You say, well, it's God's will that I only got 19. But thanks be to God, I got those 19, right? Um, and, and it's also like, you know, so you said planning a vacation. I, I hope that I'm, I'm going to tell... Let's tell my wife to remind me for us to do this. Like every time we get in the car to drive somewhere in the hymnal in responsive prayer two, on page 285, you know, you can do a short little service of prayer. Um, <clears throat> but then at the end, there's this prayer for before travel. I think it's a great little prayer. Uh, Lord God, our father, you kept Abraham and Sarah in safety throughout the days of their pilgrimage. You led the children, um, you led the children, um, you led the children of Israel through the midst of the sea, and by a star you led the wise men to the infant Jesus. Protect and guide us now in this time as we set out to travel. Make our ways safe and our homecomings joyful, and bring us at last to our heavenly home where you dwell in glory with your Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Right? And it's just commending everything in the Lord's hands and Maybe you get to where you're going and you go, well, it took us five hours instead of four, or, you know, well, we lost a tire, but we're here, you know, and that was God's will, or whatever, you know, you, you say, we're going to make it happen, we're going to shoot for it, but whatever happens is God's But we're not going to fix the World <clears throat> Series to get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you still... Like you can plan and have things, <laughs> and you can be in God's Word and doing it that way, but as soon as something may be doesn't go according to plan yeah are you going to realize that there are things that are out of your control and that are totally in god's control yeah. or are you going to take it upon yourself Boasting and maybe and to try and fix it yeah or plant little seeds or manipulate people to make it happen have your will come across <clears throat> because yeah yeah Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. All right.
Any other thoughts about that? It's a pretty straightforward chapter, right? It's good stuff, though. Okay. Well, that's it for James chapter 4 for us in this study. Um... Uh, next time we're going to be doing James chapter 5 and uh, that'll be it and I'll go on vacation and pray that the Lord's will would be done and bringing us safely to our destination and safely back home right when are you planning yeah <laughs> we're planning on, on, on heading out uh, Sunday the 4th Officially, officially, I'll be on vacation starting the fifth. But since you know, I'll fulfill my work obligations on Sunday, the fourth. We're gonna head out after after church on that day to get on the road. Um, that's the plan. God willing. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close with uh, the Lord's prayer. So, taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 